Hello and welcome to the Pulpiteer Podcast, an audio online ministry of Pastor Andy Kroll and St. John's Pilgrim United Methodist Church. You can visit us online at pilgrimumchurch.com or you can visit my blog at thepulpiteer.com for more sermons and writings. On to Genesis 12, and so we're going to look at Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4a. I'm going to really focus mostly on verse 1 today. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, would be an acceptable sacrifice to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as uh, thinking about inertia, uh, and inertia is uh, an object tends to stay at rest or in uniform motion, unless it's acted upon externally, which means it's going to, an object tends to stay at rest, or if it's going a direction, it tends to stay in that direction until friction or or gravity or whatever kind of slows it down. Like an object is going to go where it's going to go, or stay as it stays, and and, until some external force acts upon it. I think one of the easy examples of this is, I don't know if you've ever had um, your car battery die, and you've had to push the car out of the garage to jump it with somebody else, probably I mean, with my beautiful truck, it's hard to believe that that happens. But every once in a while, you know, and, and if you're pushing a car, that's, you know, it's best to put it in neutral first. And when you do that, it takes a bit to get it going, doesn't it? It's inertia, right? In fact, what's one of the things you can do to kind of get it moving? Rock it, right? Why? Because once you get the motion going, it's a little bit easier. Like, there's inertia you have to overcome. Things tend to want to stay where they're at, um, until you get them moving. And I was thinking about that because um, as the, the children and I were watching a YouTube video on the TV, and there was these two YouTube channels that had a collaboration, in case you're wondering, one group is called How Ridiculous. They basically drop things uh, off of a high tower and see what happens in the, off the Gravity, Gravity Discovery Center in Australia. And then there's another channel that was with him called Mark Rober, and he builds all sorts of sciencey stuff. And so they had him build a giant trampoline that could handle really heavy stuff being dropped from a tower. This is, just, this is what guys do, I guess, when they have money and can just do stuff, is they drop things to watch them break and then see if the trampoline works. Like that sort of stuff. The trampoline padding, or the, the surface was made out of Kevlar, for example. They made this kind of crazy trampoline. Anyway, in this video, um, they, the, they climb up and they drop this atlas ball, this really heavy atlas ball, onto the trampoline. And there's a bunch of, I don't know if they're water balloons or orbies, I don't know what the what those things are, but they're apparently water balloons sort of things. And uh, the atlas ball hits the surface, and, and the tramp goes down, and the, the balloons are suspended in air because of inertia. It takes a second for then the force of gravity, working at, uh, what, negative 9.81 meters per second per second to, to accelerate them towards the Earth. So it takes a second. And I was thinking about inertia with that. In fact, you're probably like, man, I wish I could see a clip of that video. All right, let's do it. Let's watch a clip of the video. Isn't that crazy? And they don't even really fall before the trampling bounces up and catches them. 
So yes, what we watch in our free time is stuff like that. <laughs> it's interesting, though, to watch that sort of stuff. And, and it got me, again, thinking about inertia. Inertia, things tend to stay at rest unless they're acted upon by an external force. Um, in this passage, Abram is told to go. To go from his country, from his kindred, from his father's house. And you notice it's kind of interesting there. It moves from general to specific or from um, less, uh, from less intimate to more intimate. You know, country, kindred, father's house gets more specific there. And I think what can be lost on us today is what all is implied in Abram leaving all of this behind. Because this social network was the key to survival. Like when it says that he had to leave, and we know he leaves with Lot, and so you think of Abram and, and Sarai, Lot and his wife. It's like, do they you know, load up in the station wagon and head on down the highway to Canaan or whatever's going on? Well, no, like you don't have that. You don't get to just go to some city that's waiting for you with jobs. There's no police officers to make sure things are kept orderly or kept at peace, not jails holding back criminals to keep them from robbing you on the way. Um, there wasn't a social safety net waiting to catch Abram if things fell apart in this new place. He didn't have that sort of safety net. In fact, there was a social safety net. It was his father's household, the people he was leaving behind. That was the social safety net of the time. In fact, in the, in the social world of ancient Israel, the basic community was the extended family. It was called the household of the father. And so that household, what it would consist of is there would be a group of people large enough to protect themselves and to provide for themselves. So you'd have this social network of people, and that's how you protected and cared for each other and had enough to, to provide for each other. It was a multi-generational group. It would consist of a leader, which would be the father of the house. And so you have the father and his wife. And then it was multi-generational. So you might even have his father if he was elderly. And then you'd have maybe uncles and that sort of thing, possibly cousins, brothers, their families and servants, and the whole thing. So you'd have this community of people, this little um, almost kind of tribe, even though tribes were a bigger affiliation, this group of people, the, the household. And uh, they were in covenant with each other. They established a hierarchy to keep the order, like the father had certain decisions that he had to make. And you have to have this hierarchy in order because, again, like there's no police. Like this is like there's no rules. And if you want to keep structure and have things work and have to take care of each other, you've got rules and stuff that you've got to follow, traditions that you've got to follow, and that sort of stuff. Now, when Abram is called, he is called out of that. All of that support, that whole network, all of that stuff, all of that wisdom, he's called out of that, out of that network of relationships. And he's being called into this new place and really being called to establish his own. So while he does take a few people, he takes Lot, and apparently there's some servants with them. It's just this little group that's striking out to start up his own household. One of the major problems with him starting up his own household is Sarai, his wife, is barren. They don't have any kids, and it doesn't look like they're going to. How are you supposed to start out a household if you can't do this? There's no future in it. It doesn't make sense. One of the commentaries I was reading pointed out that there's a bunch of genealogies in the section. So it's just saying, you know, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and then they got married, and then they had kids, and then they, and it would go on down. And by the time you get to Abram and Sarai, we find out that Sarai is barren, that they don't have any kids. The assumption then would be, and then we're just going to move on to them, to like a cousin or something like that, to the people who can carry the line forward. It looked like there wasn't a future, um, that it was kind of hopeless that he was barren. But then, oddly enough, Abram is the one. Abram and Sarai are the ones that God commanded to go. So 
it's not just leaving this support network, starting out where it doesn't look like you have a future with kids in it, but yet you've got to build this household. So you're leaving the support, not sure how the future is going to work out, and then God says, go to the place I will show you. Not super specific, right? Imagine jumping in the car, and, and, and I don't know, your spouse sits beside you in the passenger seat and says, drive to the place I will show you. <laughs> Just start going, I'll tell you when. Like, how does that feel? You don't know how long it's going to be, you don't know where you're going, you're not sure um, if it's gonna, is it going to take days, is it going to take hours, what's going on? The uncertainty of it, I, I think, would, would drive me nuts. So he has to leave all of his support, and then he has to go out into the unknown, kind of walking blind. And in this situation, the only option that Abram really has is to depend upon God. He doesn't have a support network. He lost that. He can't have a game plan because God hasn't told him yet. He's just told to go. To go. God calls to us. And I began with this thought on inertia because when God calls to us in our own lives, when he calls us out of something, we have an inertia in our own lives. For example, Abraham had this sense of security. He had a familiarity with his surroundings. He knew all that stuff. But he was called out of that security into the unknown where he was forced to trust in God. We have our own sense of security. We have our own patterns. We have our own familiarity. We have our own whatever it is that we're comfortable with. And it creates a kind of inertia in our lives. Things tend to stay the same unless some outside force pushes it to change. We have this inertia in our lives. We get comfortable. Or we get stuck. And we tend to stay where we are. And some of those things that we're stuck in are, are destructive. They're not helpful. They could be patterns of anger and how anger plays out in our lives. It could be patterns of gluttony. Um, whether it's with food or with other things or spending or, or whatever it is. It could be patterns of self-medicating behavior. And by that, I mean, like, how do you deal with stress? How do you deal with anger? How do you deal with hurt? Do you just uh, eat more food or you just go out and, and impulse buy? Or do you use substances or, or, or whatever it is? Like, uh, what do you do to kind of, uh, what do you turn to to make yourself feel better? Um, that, that is just not a, a helpful thing. Or we have patterns of broken relationships. Or patterns of other sorts of sins. We have these patterns in our lives and we get stuck in them. Do you ever wonder why? Have you ever wondered to yourself, why is it so hard to change the bad patterns in my life? I mean, have you ever tried to make change? Well, the first thing is, it's hard enough sometimes to actually recognize the bad patterns in our life. Because our immediate reaction is, why does this happen to me? Or why is this going wrong? Like, I think our first reaction is, what did somebody else do so that I'm in the spot? And uh, the first step is to even just understand what are we doing to contribute to some of the mass? What is the brokenness in me? What is, what is the bad pattern, the negative pattern that I'm a part of? And so the first challenge is just to like realize that, I'm, Lord, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm in some bad patterns. I've got some bad uh, uh, um, uh, things that I'm, I'm stuck in. And, but even when we recognize those things, why is it hard to break them? Like, you can know in your mind, okay, I don't want to do that anymore. But it's one thing to know in theory you don't want to do it anymore. But how easy is it to just make the change then? Why is that? Our lives have inertia, don't they? They tend to, they want to stay in the same familiar spot, the same pattern. Even if we don't like the pattern, it's the one we know. But God calls us to go, to step out from those patterns, to step out from that familiarity, 
to step out from that comfort. God calls us to turn our backs on the sin in our lives. It's repenting. That's what repenting is. You, you, you turn. You go a different direction. You turn your back on the sin. You walk towards God. And God calls us to go to the land that God will show us. And it takes faith. Like you just have to trust that God will take care of you. Because stepping out from those areas of familiarity, just what it just means by definition is you're stepping into an unfamiliar place, and that's hard. It's hard to step into a new spot. It's hard to step into a new pattern of living. It's hard to just step into a new, a new place. And you have to trust that God is going to take care of you there because you're not sure what you're doing yourself. You have to trust in God to even do the impossible. I mean, imagine how uh, Sarah felt as um, you think she didn't feel pressure to bear children when you have this call to start a new household. You have to trust in God to even do the impossible. See, this, this section in Genesis 12 marks a really important part of Scripture, actually, because this is where Abram comes in, and Abram begins God's plan of rescue and redemption. God, like, we have the sin problem, the earth has fallen, got all sorts of craziness going on, like uh, the, the, the cleansing and judgment of the flood, the Tower of Babel, and, and pe- like, just the world is kind of a mess. And God needs to rescue the world. Like, sin has torn things up. And God starts this rescue plan that, that begins in the person of Abram as God is making for himself a people that will be blessed in order to be a blessing. And the fulfillment of that plan, where all of it leads, by the way, is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, if you think about it, as this goes forward, Jesus was another who responded to God's call, the Father's call, to go from his Father's house. Jesus went from his Father's house to us. The difference, one of the differences is um, Jesus knew where that path led because that path for him led to the cross. And when Jesus went, it wasn't for his blessing, but for ours. And the reason that we make a big deal out of Lent and this whole lead up to the cross is because this is the story of God rescuing us. This is our rescue story. This is God's love for us goes this far. Jesus pays for our sin. All of those things that, that you get stuck in, all of those patterns, those habits, that sin that holds you back and hurts other people, remember that Jesus left his father's house to die for that sin on the cross, to pay the penalty for that sin on the cross, and not only offer us forgiveness, but Jesus died to set us free from that. And so I believe that God is calling each of us today to go, to step out in faith to a place where we have to depend upon God to care for us and to provide for us. But here's the wonderful thing. There's something that changed in a major way between Abraham. Abram is called to go, and then we are called to go. But the big change that happened in between now and then is, is Jesus. And because of that, Because of Jesus' work on the cross, his atoning sacrifice on the cross for us in victorious resurrection, because of that, um, we can, by faith in Christ, be adopted into the family of God. 1 John 3 says, See what love the Father has for us, that we are called children of God, and that indeed is what we are. We can be children of God, which means that where Abram was called to leave his father's house and go into uncertainty, we are called to leave the uncertainty of this world and to go to our Father's house, who cares for us and loves us. In the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Would you bow your heads with me, please? So God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength 
to go. Wherever it is you're calling us. Give us the ears to hear. And grant us faith in you and trust in you um, to let go of all we have just to have all of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.